Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. afford yourself in those acts chapter number three and verse number 11 starting here tonight amen i'll try to be mindful of our time here amen acts 3 and 11 the bible says and as the lame man which was healed held peter and john and all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called solomon's greatly wondering and when peter saw it he answered unto the people ye men of israel why marvel ye at this or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go but ye denied the Holy One the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know yea the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all and now brethren I want that through ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers but those things which God before had shewed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer he hath so he has so fulfilled moving just a little further along here in the book of Acts 3 tonight just as something just to title and center ourselves around I'm going to talk about several things but nevertheless just called this tonight nothing lame about the name nothing lame about the name amen let's go to the Lord in prayer God we're grateful today for your spirit pray oh Lord you're able to help us in the next few moments God that we can glean from the scriptures pray oh Lord today God touch each and every heart and soul center in the sound of my voice i pray god help us this evening god to lean in lord to what the spirit may be saying lord will lord accept it the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray amen amen god bless you tonight you may be seated again acts 3 is the first recorded miracle that we have that took place after Pentecost not the first miracle but the first recorded one that we have after Pentecost the healing of the lame man that we looked at last week that was no doubt evidence that God was working with his disciples or apostles and being among his apostles and if nothing else he was certifying the words and the message and the gospel that they spoke just like Jesus had done with the works that they did miracles the signs and the wonders and as we spoke last week you have a miracle and the miracle is going to draw a crowd amen and whenever the miracle drew a crowd Peter took the opportunity to preach to the people he followed a very similar pattern as I made mention last week that he did in Acts chapter number two at least chapter three seems to follow there is an amazement that's among the people there is a misunderstanding among the people they are kind of looking toward Peter and John as though maybe by their own power or their own holiness that they have wrought this miracle among the people. But ultimately what's going to happen is Peter is going to lead the people uh, to, again, a recognition, a point of reckoning that they were indeed guilty 
of having a hand in crucifying uh, Jesus, not just as a man, but as their Christ, as their Messiah. And then when he gets them to the place that they understand that and accept that and say, yes, that was us, he's going to turn around and offer them hope and give them a plan and a means by which they can secure that hope. But to start out firstly tonight, Peter begins to deal with this greatly wondering and the misunderstanding of the people. He asked them very plainly, as in other places of Scripture, uh, the people were wondering in an amazement over the miracle that had happened. And that happens oftentimes in Scriptures. A miracle is done. People are bewildered by the miracle happening. But many times they are also uh, bewildered by the people that are involved facilitating the miracle. In other words, they have a hard time seeing this just miraculous thing take place and not try to draw a direct line then to the people that may have laid their hands on them, spoken a word of faith, prayed over them, thinking that perhaps that person, this happened because of this person prayed for them or that person spoke a word of faith over them. And so Peter discerned that the people were looking at him and John as though they, by their own power, by their own initiative, by their own holiness, made the lame man capable and enabled him to be able to walk when he had never been able to walk in the entirety of his life. And so Peter understood, though, something that he shared with the people. And this is good uh, for ministry. This is good for any lay person. It doesn't matter who you are. This is good. And I think maybe this is a lesson early on in the book of Acts that is being taught or a proving time we might even say more clearly a proving time for the apostles and that is this how are you going to handle the praise of men because Peter understood very well if I can just take something uh, that we can all relate to uh, we have beautiful keyboard up here we have drums up here sometimes there are a guitar up here wonderful wonderful instruments but the instruments are incapable of making any sound uh, without a musician uh, no matter how beautiful they are, if they have all uh, the required equipment in order to make a sound, they are not capable of doing so without the musician. I think Peter understood his place in the dynamic of this miracle. Amen. That there was something great, no doubt, that took place and it happened. And that he was, if you will, nothing more but an instrument in that. But he would not have been able to function or be of any aid in this whole process had it not been for the musician, so to speak, had it not been for God himself. And so the problem that we even run in today is several people talking about being divine healers. You know, we're going to go over here. They're having a great crusade. There's a divine healer over there. Well, according to my Bible, there is only one divine healer, amen, that there ever was. But there are gifts of healing. There's gifts of healing. There are gifts of faith. And there's gifts of miracles. But there's only truly one divine healer and that is great God Almighty and yet even if a person is to operate in a gift of miracles or a gift of faith or a gift of healing that person if they will be honest with themselves and with God they understand the gift of the spirit belongs to the spirit the gift of the spirit belongs to the spirit and so it's not that they have been given uh, that they have something uh, that is theirs and they have a corner on this thing so to speak that, that, that power, that function uh, that they have came from a higher power from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, he makes some notations here in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, kind of just very broadly. He spoke about how he is a man that, that he did not judge himself. 
In other words, he, he didn't base his success or his failure uh, upon his own judgment of himself because he wouldn't really be able to depend upon that. Neither did he depend upon uh, the estimate of somebody else. He didn't necessarily depend upon someone else's judgment of himself either. And he finally just came to a place. He said, I let God judge me. He came through uh, 1 Corinthians 4 talking about that basically if we were to put our stock in the appraisal of men, that it would cause us sometimes our own personal evaluation of ourselves to rise and fall according to how other people appraised us. And that's a very vulnerable place to be put in because that means when they appraise you well, then you'll think well of yourself. And if they appraise you negatively, you'll think negative of yourself when it may not even be correct even to begin with. That's a very dangerous place to be in. And that is to rise and fall with the appraisal of other people. Uh, just so that we don't get trapped in that, I think it's important tonight to remember that many of the same ones that were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord as Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Some of the very same ones were the ones that were crying, crucify him from the judgment hall of Pilate. And so you, you can't depend, per se, upon uh, the endorsement or the criticism of people totally. And for that matter, Paul started out in 1 Corinthians 4. He started out telling the Corinthian church, he said, there's one thing that's really required of you. He said, and that is that you would be a faithful steward. Everyone say steward. Faithful steward. Because a steward, in most cases, manages something that's not their own. They manage something that's not their own. Paul says, you be a faithful steward steward number one if I call you a steward then you got to recognize what you have what it seems like you function in what it seems like you manage is not something that is your own but it belongs to someone else and that's what these early apostles uh, the proven time for them was are they going to be stewards over what has been given to them rather than trying to be owner over something that doesn't belong to them amen and so when everybody was amazed, it would have, let's just be real honest, it had been real easy to say, yeah, me, me and John here laid hands on him. And we lifted him up. And now it had been real easy to fall into that path of saying, you better believe it, buddy. We is on our way to prayer. Huh? We were on our way to prayer, and this isn't not something we just do on the weekends. We do this three times a day and, you know, start putting the feather in their hat. So it would have been very, a very precarious situation right there when everybody's already assuming that to pet it just a little bit more so it would become reality, if you will, to all them around. But God was in a position to see what are they going to do with the praise of men? Are they going to realize their placement in the body of Christ? that they are stewards over this that I have given unto them. And look what 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 7 says. The Bible, some questions that are asked here that Paul is using here in the Scripture. He says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? He says, what makes you different from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? He said, if you got something, he said, you got it, not because it's just part of the package deal of Paul McGee. He 
said you got it because you received it from another mm-hmm someone say amen and so notice remember remember with this last week in Acts 3 whenever Peter is approaching the temple with John he says look on us and the lame man fastened his eyes upon them expecting to receive something remember what Peter said silver and gold have I none but such as I have huh now Peter knew he had given such as he had but what he had had been received what he had had been received from God amen and so here's a good proving time for the apostles what are they going to do with the praises of men and we see this more than just in Acts 3 we see it in other places in the book of Acts there was another scenario in Acts 14 Paul and Barnabas had a very Paul and Barnabas had a very similar circumstance there was a man there that had been uh, impotent in both of his feet from birth as well um, this, Acts 3 is Peter now over here in Acts 14 this is Paul Paul and Barnabas and the Bible says he had been like that from birth and he was at a place of Lystra there and the Bible says that he told this man to stand up and whenever he did he received strength as well and was able to walk and function and the people came out to them and they thought that both, both Paul and Barnabas, each of them, were, were gods. And they even brought some garlands, the Bible says. And they brought some oxen. And they were going to have sacrifice unto for Paul and Barnabas because they thought they were gods. But the Bible says Paul and Barnabas came out. Man, they started ripping their clothes. They, they were ripping their clothes. And, and they were looking at everything that was going on. And, and if look at the response in Acts 14, 14. Look, how, look what they did when, when they came out and was starting to give all these compliments and praise to these men, Paul and Barnabas. Look, look what their reaction was in Acts 14, 14. At which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of that whenever they heard of these compliments and everything that was taking place these men are gods they rent their clothes ran in among the people crying out and saying sirs why do ye these things we also are men of like passions with you they're saying we're just like you are we're men we're subject to fault and failure and, and whenever we stub our toe it hurts as well we're men of like passions with you and we're, though we're here, we're preaching unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all things that are therein. In other words, what Paul and Barnabas did is did very correctly with the praises of men, amen, over something that happened that they were just a steward over. They said, we don't have ownership of this. We're just managers of it. This only happened because something has been given to us from a higher power. And rather than looking to us look to that higher power rather than looking at us look to the God of amen us amen and that's the way it should be I, uh, it, it, ministry sometimes can be a very peculiar spot because people come up if you preach and they think you preached well they'll tell you oh you did a good job man that's a great word and, and we say thank you and nod our heads but all along I'm thinking in the back of my mind this is God if they thought it was good it was God if they thought it was bad it was probably me but if they thought it was good it was probably God amen hallelujah and, and so so we just give all we direct the praise of men the accolades of men toward God they wanted the people to know God he's the one that made heaven and earth God is responsible for all these things even the miracles the signs and the wonders that are before you even now now look look in verse number 16 of Acts 3 Peter is not reluctant to tell them that it was in Jesus' name his name 
and faith in that name that made that man strong. Just for clarification, he said it, it, this happened because of the name, Jesus' name, and faith in that name made that man strong. Remember, whenever Peter gave the command to the lame man, rise up and walk, he, he prefaced all of that with, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Something that you can wrap your mind around, it's almost like, it's almost like people of a royal court that's given direction or commands in the name of the king. Open those gates in the name of the king. Huh? In the name of the king, on this third Saturday of the month, there is going to be a royal lamb for everyone to partake of. Now, if just Joe Blow goes out there and starts toting some of that stuff, that doesn't really mean much to the people. But whenever you announce that it's in the name of the king, everybody in the kingdom recognizes the name of the king. Amen? And they know that it's going to be followed through on accordingly because the king has the authority in the kingdom. The king has the power in the kingdom. And so when they are there in the name of the king, if it's a, a servant or whoever it may be, they are there in the authority of the king and in the power of the king. Well, folks, just to divert over here in our life, church life, spiritual life, all of creation knows the king. All of sickness and disease know the name of the king of kings. And so whenever Peter spoke to that man, amen, and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, he wasn't operating under the guise of his own power or under the guise of his own authority, but he was operating under the guise and the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. He wasn't acting on his own behalf. He was acting on the behalf of the creator of the universe, the one that formed the very legs of that body in the womb to begin with. That... That's the one that he was there. It was a higher power. It was the highest power that he came to them in. And so he was dealing with this lame man. Amen. He was dealing with this lame man. He was dealing with him, not with, though, a lame name. All right. He had a name that had power and authority. And then in the next chapter, if you'll note, in the next chapter of Acts 4, Peter will be so bold to tell even the rulers and the elders that brought him and John in that the power and the name used to bring about the wholeness of the man was once again the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He would go on to tell them, and I think this is, this is a driving point, he would go on to tell them that not only was that miracle performed in that name, but Acts 4.12, we all go to, neither is there salvation in any other name. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. He was making a correlation. Not only does that name have power and authority to cause the lame to walk, that name has the power and the authority to bring the lost being to a place of being saved. It is a name that's powerful enough for saving. It's for salvation. 
And that is the important message even of today concerning signs, miracles, and wonders is to take the people to the understanding that the same name did, that did that is the same name that can save their soul. Amen. And so it was the name, not only name, but it also says in faith in the name. There was faith in the name that was present. And I believe the faith that was in the name was present both with Peter who exercised it and with the lame man who had it exercised upon him. Again, if, 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 if it was possible, uh, it was quite possible that the lame man had heard of Jesus, had heard of his workings, had heard of other people uh, healed and set free, and good, 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 good uh, possibility that he even may have had an encounter or seen him one time in Solomon's porch because the gospel's right of Jesus being in Solomon's porch before. And so I believe that there was faith, amen, with Peter and what he said, and there was faith when the man heard that name and what could happen, and there was the authority and the power and just the name being evoked, amen, over top of the lame man that enabled this man to get up Amen, when he tried to do what he normally could not do and walk because this wasn't Peter or John doing it, but this was the power and the authority of the king. Amen, demanding it. Amen, in their life. Someone say amen. And if it seems like I'm going quick, I probably am. 8.30, we'll come quick. But between, between the people questioning is this Peter and John doing this? What's happening here? I'm amazed of what just took place. Between that and then the answer that Peter gave about it being the name and faith in the name, between those two, those two segments there in Scripture, Peter, Peter is, is, is bringing a case against them of killing the one that just did a healing. Which is kind of odd to wrap your mind around. He's bringing a case against him that this one that you're so bewildered about because of this miracle is the same one that days back you crucified, you killed. And so Peter tells them, he tells them in the scriptures, and you look for it for yourself in Acts chapter number 3, he tells them that God glorified Jesus. He tells them in verse number 13, he tells them that God glorified Jesus. And so then, with that being said, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, had, if you will, the endorsement of heaven, all right? Although men of that hour didn't look at him as that, he was letting them know that Jesus, as a man, had the endorsement, he, the endorsement of heaven. And for them to have fought against Jesus Christ as a man was, in essence, to fight against them the endorsement of God to fight against the very one that God had glorified. Because the one that God, he, this is what he came to tell him. He said, the one that God glorified, the great God of heaven that you've been taught of all throughout the Old Testament, and your forefathers honor and respect, the, that great God that have glorified his son, Jesus Christ, he says, you all delivered that same one up for crucifixion and denied him before Pilate who, by the way, wanted to let him go. Now here, that gets really particular. Here, Pilate wanted to let him go, one that was not a Jew, and the Jews wanted to give him up to be crucified. Amen. And so they were fighting, if you will, against the Lord. So, so here is Pilate. He's a pagan Gentile ruler. 
He, he sees something in Jesus, what he perceives to be innocence in Jesus. He tries with everything, I say with everything, he tries, attempts to release him, but they are denying the Holy One. They are delivering up this one that is just. And the Bible says that they desired, even right here in Acts 3, they desired a murderer, Barabbas, over Jesus. Now, you'll note in Acts 3, there's several titles that they use to describe that are referring to Jesus. He's called God's Son in Acts 3. He's called the Holy One. He's called the Just. He's called the Prince of Life. He's called Christ. But if you'll note in verse number 13, Peter said, basically, you Jews denied Jesus. And as a result, as a result, if you go further down then in verse 14, you denied Jesus. And as a result, he wanted them to see in doing so, they denied Jesus the Holy One. He wanted them to see that God, which they knew and respected and revered as being the Holy One, that God was in Christ. I think I've said it in this series already, there can only be one Holy One. There can only be one Holy One. Isaiah said in Isaiah 43, 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. There can only be one holy one these people new testament scripture revered and knew the god of the old testament to be the holy one peter here is making a correlation for them whenever you denied jesus you denied the holy one what wait a minute yeah when you denied what you seen as just a man you were denying the god of glory that came down inside of that man Amen. So it's a game changer here. What's starting to happen? They're starting to understand the gravity of really what they've done. They're understanding the mechanics here of what took place. It wasn't that we just denied Jesus, but we have denied the Holy One, that God that was manifested in that flesh, that man, Christ Jesus. And I know I've said this, even the unclean spirits uh, back in, in, in Luke 4, uh, the devil even cried out and recognized Jesus was the Holy One, but these folks even hadn't recognized that. Amen. But Peter's bringing that to their recognition. And so the Jews in New Testament Scripture, you'll see much of their hang-up is this. They have a hard time accepting the deity of Jesus Christ. They see a boy that was born in Bethlehem. They see a boy that has a mom and dad, uh, you know, not a biological father, but, but see some parents, you know, call him all times the carpenter's son. And that's all that they're hanging their, their, their hat on. And they are not grasping the idea of Jesus Christ being God and being man. They're not grasping the idea that he had an earthly mother, but he had a heavenly mother. Father, They're not grasping that. They're not seeing him, amen, as a deity side to him throughout the Gospels. They're constantly making this claim and thinking that, that Jesus is blaspheming and saying, here is a man that is trying to make himself God, which I oftentimes say they got it backwards. It was a God that was making himself in the likeness of a man through Jesus Christ. So here's the quandary, though, that they were in. They wanted to deny the deity of Jesus Christ, yet still have allegiance to God being the Father. But you can't accomplish that. 1 John 2, 23 even tells us, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. 
but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. He said they're trying to acknowledge the Father, amen, being the Father of creation, the maker of all things, but at the same time deny the deity of Jesus Christ, meaning then that his blood could have no sanctifying power in their life. Wrong. Amen. Because that spirit overshadowed Mary, amen, and conceived in her that seed, Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to accept the Father, you've got to accept the deity side of the Son because they work in tandem with one another. Bishop M.L. Walls, he said it like this once. He said, John is refuting the false dogma of the Gnostics. And the Gnostics are this, people who denied the deity of Jesus Christ while at the same time claiming the allegiance to the Father. He says, but John argues you can't have it both ways by denying the one you can't claim you know the other they are inseparably linked into one entity and that's the reason why the bible says all the fullness of the godhead dwelt in jesus christ bodily amen and so if you're going to have the totality of the godhead that was in jesus christ bodily that meant the father aspect of the godhead was in jesus christ if you deny jesus christ you denied the father they work in tandem. But Peter's trying to bring them to this recognition. To this recognition that God was in Christ. That God was in Christ. And with that in mind then when they denied Jesus, they denied the Holy One. And they for sure from their upbringing as Jews knew better to do that. Amen. But he was seeing the correlation that that man Christ was God in the flesh. God manifested. Amen. And so they were doing exactly what they hoped that they would never do. They were committing that. And so they were having to own that. And so with that being said though, one of the, one of the titles that is given, one of the titles that is given here or, or references I should say to Jesus is that he is called the Prince of Life. Said so they killed the Prince they killed, that's what it says, that's the verbiage here, verse 15, and killed the prince of life. So in contrast to Pilate, who was trying to release him, the Jews warned the prince of life, the life giver, warned the life giver killed. Think about this. They wanted the life giver killed and the life taker Barabbas released. Amen. And so as an outsider, this seems a little absurd, don't it? I mean, if we were just, if we were just, I mean, take your mind totally off the scripture here for a moment and let's just bring it to modern day. Let's say we have someone here that is just a very good man and, you know, just sharing life wherever he can. And then you have someone that's just a murderer and we set him before you all and say, okay, who do you want to be incarcerated and who do you want to be let go? And everybody says, let go of the killer, let go of the killer and just take the life here. That seems absurd, don't it? It's like, we all need admitted to some type of mental hospital. Like, what is the deal here? That just seems absolutely absurd. Listen to me, though. But we have made the very same request when we protect and coddle our sin rather than accept his forgiveness and his new life. Listen to me. Because whenever we choose sin over new life in Christ Jesus, we've chosen, in essence, a murderer over the giver of life. Because the Bible emphasizes that the wages of sin, huh? throw it up there, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? 
death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so whenever we choose sin over the new life in Christ Jesus, we're choosing the murderer. Huh? We're choosing a murderer, if you will, over life. Sin is a murderer. Jesus even spoke of the devil uh, in, in John 8 in one of the Gospels. He spoke of the devil being a murderer from the beginning. It's a murderer from the beginning. And so to choose our sin instead of life is to choose the murderer, per se, like Barabbas, over again in the Scriptures, in our own lives. So we have a Jesus Barabbas moment in our life. We have a Jesus Barabbas moment in our life. And so just a few moments ago, whenever we did the little mock thing of if it was real life right here, and we'd said, now how absurd would that be? Let me ask you the question, how absurd is it in your own personal life? Choosing the murderer over the life giver. Amen? Romans, not Romans, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 20. All the way back in the Deuteronomy scripture, Moses is on the verge of passing away. He has got the children of Israel to Jordan for the second time now. They are on the, on the verge of crossing over into the promised land, and he's setting some things over them. He's given them some marching orders that when they get over there, do not be influenced by the gods of, of that place. Don't be taken in by their way of worship. Don't start, stop following the Lord. And I just want to read this. I just deemed it important tonight to read it because, again, he was just kind of setting before them life and death. He was setting before them Barabbas and Jesus. He was setting them before them sin or abstaining from sin. He says in verse 15, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. He says, In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Verse 17, but if thine heart turn away so that thou will not hear but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. He says in verse 18, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish. He says if you choose the murderer over the life giver, you're going to die. You're going to die. And that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He says, therefore choose life, but both thou and thy seed. That thou and thy seed may live, and that, and that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, and thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. So he's all the way back in Jerusalem. Deuteronomy, even more the crucifix of the Lord and all that, he's trying to stage people's minds. You're going to choose life, you're going to choose death. If you're going to choose life, you're going to be obedient to God's voice, you're going to hearken to what he has to say, you're going to turn from the false gods. If you're going to choose death, you're going to go after false gods, you're going to worship them, you're going to serve them, but know in the moment that you do, you're going to perish. You're going to die. He's the life giver, not just for you, but even for your children. Embrace that. And so whenever we even read uh, uh, Acts 15, I'm watching it, I've got a few, a minute or so, seconds, minutes. 
It seems like an impossible statement. And killed the prince of life. When Peter said, and killed the prince of life, the word prince means here author or originator. They killed the author of life. They killed the originator of life. Let's just look at this very quickly. First, uh, John chapter number one, verses three and four. Uh, John, who, what John is referencing right here, it starts out, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He's making references to this Word that we know in John 14, that Word that became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten, the Father full of grace and truth. All right, the only begotten, the Father, Jesus Christ. All right, so he's referencing this Word, and he says in verse 3, all things were made by Him, this Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. This word. And look at verse 4. And in him this word was, was life. And the life was the light of man. Again, we're going back to this concept that God was in Christ. That God was manifested in the flesh. And that God was in Christ. So how could the prince, the author, the originator of life be killed? Again, that seems to be a contradictory concept. How can you kill the originator of life? How can you kill the author of life? If I can say tonight, they were able to quote unquote, and I put quotes around, they were able to kill Jesus because the prince willed to die. Yes, he allowed it. The Bible says that he laid down his life. In other passages, it said he gave up the ghost insomuch that in death, I like this, insomuch that he gave up the ghost and lay down his life in death he was still proving to be the prince of life huh because what did he tell his boys one time he says I can lay it down and I can take it up <laughs> so even in his death though it seemed to be on the surface taken play by the hands of men they couldn't take it if he didn't give it and so he's still just stamping I'm still the prince the originator the author of life I can lay it down and when I want to, I can pick it back. Woo! He is the prince of life. Now, remember what Jesus was saying from the cross. Remember Matthew 27, what he was saying? And, and he just uh, quotes and reverberates the messianic psalm in the psalms. My God, remember Jesus saying that? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Amen? God was manifested in the flesh as Jesus Christ, but God is a spirit, John 24. 424 tells us and God as a spirit you listen to me God as a spirit had to temporarily leave the body of Jesus so it could die you hearing me God couldn't stay invested in the body of Christ or that body would not die he had to temporarily leave that's the reason why Christ is saying my God my God why hast thou forsaken me he had to temporarily leave the body of Jesus so it could die uh huh so it could die. So on the first surface, they killed Jesus and they placed him on the cross, but he gave his life, amen, indicating indeed that he was the prince of life. He was the prince of life. And remember this, please, don't get all mixed up. Amen, God is a spirit that inhabits the body known as Jesus Christ. Remember, when Jesus died, none of God died. Jesus was God and man. 
Only the man portion of Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died, none of God died. The old saying is this, when what was born from the womb and placed on the cross was buried in the tomb. But what was not born in the womb was not placed on the cross and by no means went to the... Hallelujah! If you could touch it with your hand, it went in the grave. But if you couldn't feel it with your hand, it is still forevermore. It had no beginning, neither will it have any ending. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Hallelujah. Woo. Because God, who is spirit, just is. He is the I am. Trying to figure it to go. Stop, just stop. Does anybody stay up later or do you just go straight home and go to bed? I got two of the kids in here, so I'll bear the burden. You could say something if I didn't have any kids, but I do. All right, I'm finishing this up. It ain't going to take long. Easy, I am. Now, look at this. Look at verse, look at verse number 17. So he's brought them to this place that they understand what they've done here now. All right? Guilty is charged. We denied the Holy One. We, we, we've given him up to be crucified. We, we, we've done all these things. And he says, and now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. The Jews didn't ask for this. But Peter offered it. He basically told them that since you didn't recognize Jesus to be the Christ and since you didn't accept the deity of Jesus, then everything you've done has been in ignorance. You've been ignorant. Because at this moment, you're having the light bulb go off. <gasps> we've done what? He says, so you've done this in ignorance. And so, even in the Old Testament times, there were provisions made in the Old Testament for people who sinned in ignorance. People who sinned in ignorance. Were they still guilty of sin? Absolutely. And they, listen to me, and they were required to make amends when they came to the realization that they had done wrong. Were they guilty? Yes. But the, the amending of the situation happened when they came to the realization. Oh, now I realize what I did do was wrong. Formerly not knowing it, but when they come to the recognition of it, they had to do something about the wrong. And so Peter has given these people enough information for them to realize that the way that they acted was wrong. And so now it's up to them to make amends, to get this thing straightened out. And not only that, and he will next, next week, he'll provide the way that they can get back in good standing with God. All right? And folks, listen to me. This is absolutely true. Listen to me well. That a person must have to step over God's good graces and mercy in order to be lost. Can I tell you that right now? If you are going to choose to be lost, you're going to have to wade through a pool of mercy and grace to get to it. Amen. As a matter of fact, God makes it difficult to be lost. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody here, but God makes it very difficult to be lost. 
since what they had done was in ignorance. Follow me here. We're going to pull in a little Old Testament here. Since what they had done was in ignorance, their case was deemed, rather than being murder, listen to me, dropped to a charge of manslaughter. There is a difference. All right? In the Old Testament, and this is the reason why I say that, in the Old Testament, when a man willfully took the life of another man, then the judgment for him was his life. It was a life for a life. All right? As a matter of fact, whenever you start reading in the uh, Numbers, uh, you start reading the scriptures of Numbers, I think it's in Numbers 35, when you start reading through there and it starts then talking about when a man took another's life, it says unawares. It says unawares. And it even gives some, some, some uh, scenarios. But it uses the word constantly in there, unawares. That word in the Hebrew is translated, one of the ways in which it's translated is ignorantly. When a man does this ignorantly, there are some different ways of handling that person if it was done as such. And although, listen to me, although these Jews had every intention to kill Jesus, and yes, with malicious intent, but since Peter brings up this little notation that you all did this ignorantly as far as not knowing who truly you were up against here, what you were doing to truly the person who this was, he says... The charge is going to be considered, if you will, from murder to manslaughter because you're unawares of who you were coming against here. You were ignorant. And so here it is. With the Old Testament law, when a man unknowingly took the life of another man, there was the clause of the cities of refuge that if that person would get to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood that was coming for his life, if he get to the city of refuge, he would be safe. And he could remain there until the death of the high priest of that city. So that man had hopes of not dying as long as he got to the city of refuge and stayed within its boundaries until the death of the high priest. So they were preserved there as long as the priest was alive. They were preserved there as long as the high priest lived. Folks, can I tell you that the whole act of Christ after his resurrection, remember he's going to the heavens, the Bible says, Mary came and he said, don't touch me because I sinned to my father. It was in that moment that he was acting as high priest. He is the most peculiar person because not only did Christ come as the offerer, the high priest, he was also the offering. He was the lamb that was necessary, that was needed. And not only that, ultimately as the high priest, he's the one that entered into the presence of the Lord with the blood of the sacrifice. He was acting as our high priest. And from that moment, acting as our high priest, listen to me, our high priest never dies. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 and verse 15, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after, look at this, the power of an endless life. Verse 3 talks about he abideth continually. 
this priest that was after, another priest that arose after the order of Melchizedek is speaking about Jesus Christ. They're saying that Jesus Christ is our priest and he's after the power of an endless life. So the result is this. All those people, New Testament scripture, that acted ignorantly can find safety in the city of refuge, if you will, where the priest never dies. And they can stay there until the priest dies. The good thing about us is we have a high priest that knows no ending in life. He has the power of an ending life. And what that means you, as long as you stay within the confines and bounds of his arena, then there is salvation, there is hope, there is a measure, a way, a way out, a way through. There's reparation, if you will, for your own. Someone say amen. The Amplified Bible says it like this, that it is the power of an indestructible life. I like that. Stand with me. See, I told you. We'll pick up there next week. Hallelujah. And continue. Actually, we won't. With that being said, next week is Ask the Pastor Wednesday. If you've not submitted any questions, I know you don't want to say, well, we don't have much time. You can think. But if you have some, you can throw some uh, in the offering pan on Sunday. Amen. Or you can leave one tonight, shove it underneath my door, put it somewhere where we can find it. Amen. And uh, we'll get to that. But next week is Ask the Pastor. Amen. Wednesday. Bishop, what is it? Someone handed it to you? Okay. It says, Have I not told you that the time is at hand to prepare for the coming of the Lord? The time is drawing near. Prepare for the time is at hand. Prepare again, I say prepare. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Are we living in the last days? Sure. Have been. If you've been around for any teaching, you know the moment the crisis ended, the last day started. Living in the last days. Could return any time. Terminology is imminent, which means any time. Any time. It's imminent. Any time. Must be ready. And back in our revelation days we took from New Testament scripture Paul said knowing the terror of the Lord we persuade men knowing the terror of the Lord why because we know he came as savior the first time the next time he's coming as judge he's coming as ruler knowing the terror knowing his wrath coming in that capacity we persuade we plead with men and hopefully with our own souls and hearts as well we bow our heads across this place tonight thank you for listening If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.